It's always nice when you can get a three-month head start on vacation Bible school, uh, especially after it just seemed like the last one ended like last week, right? Uh, so and we don't actually keep all this stuff in our house. Uh, someone asked earlier, where do, you, where do you keep this stuff? Like, well, it goes back behind the way. Um, although it was the day after Vacation Bible School last year that we went and got most of this stuff. Uh, so it's been just a great uh, labor of love. Thank you all for um, your help. We know that we'll get so much um, support, as we always do from the congregation. Um, a couple weeks ago, I preached in Exodus. That was my Hebrew exam. I passed it. That was good. Um, uh, we're back in Galatians today. This has nothing to do with my ordination. Um, I actually didn't. Pa- I've got to retake one of my exams that I didn't pass all the way. So, uh, well, it's not you. You either pass or you don't. I did not. Uh, so I'll get to. I get the opportunity of retaking one. Um, so I got to bone up on my Reformed theology a little bit. Uh, but this week we're in Galatians chapter five. If you would uh, turn in your worship folder or in your Bible there, and let's uh, stand together and read Galatians five verses one through fifteen. Heavenly Father, we ask now as we come to your word that you would speak to us, Lord Jesus, that we would see and hear and recognize the truth that you have for us. Lord, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts. Lord, do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 5, 1 through 15, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I... Paul say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called the freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you were not consumed by one another. This is God's inspired word. Please have a seat. You know, freedom, it's something I think that we all want. Wars have been fought and are continued to be fought over this. Books have been written. Songs have been sung. Movies have been made. You know that great line, you can take our lives. But you can never take our Braveheart, right? Freedom. Freedom. Sorry, but my, my Scottish accent is terrible. Um, so regardless of how good your accent is, though, uh, freedom is, is sort of a, a dangerous concept. It's something that, that everybody desires, but, but what is it and, and what does this freedom mean? What does it look like? 
So the, the book of Galatians is, is written, again, to a group of mainly Gentile converts to Christianity who, after they received the gospel from the Apostle Paul, were infiltrated by this other group of legalistically-minded, ethnically Jewish Christians. And we'll put Christians in quotes here. Okay, they, they saw a community that didn't have all the information that they thought they needed, and their goal was to, again, quotes, help them out. Now, Acts 15 tells us a little bit about this group. It, it, we read in Acts 15, one, it says, But some men came down from Judea, And we're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. It's it's not that they denied the grace of Jesus. It's just that they taught that 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 grace was incomplete on its own. You know, something more needed to be added or or in this case actually um, subtracted or removed, right? Uh, If you want to really be saved, then there's something else you have to do. And and while Paul understood that these were folks who may have appeared to have been helping out the new Galatian Christians, in reality what they're doing was fundamentally changing the message of the gospel. Remember back in the first chapter of Galatians, he says that, that that this was not a missing piece of the gospel, right? This was a distortion or a perversion and in fact an entirely new gospel altogether, See, the false gospel says that grace is not enough. You have to earn it. You have to secure it. There's something that you have to do. But the message of the true gospel is that salvation is always and only received by grace alone, through faith alone, in the work of Christ Jesus alone. See, the Judaizers came in saying, do you want to be a child of the promise like Isaac and not a child of the flesh like Ishmael, then you're just missing this one thing. You must first obey the law. And so to this point, Paul says, you know, hey, if that's the road you want to go down, that's that's fine. But first, let me warn you about something here. Let me share my experience. You know, Paul had the unique vantage point in history of being able to say, you know, do you want to earn your way to heaven? You know, do you want to earn your way to God? Do you want to play a part in your own salvation? See, for Paul, he says, I've played that game, right? The, the, and the deck is stacked. The house always wins. See, if you attempt to perform your way to God, this is what Paul's saying. You can't just stop at circumcision. You have to keep going and keep the law entirely, perfectly. And, and why is that? Well, it's because if you insist on adding something to the finished work of Jesus... What you're really saying, again, is that Jesus is not enough. And if Jesus is not enough for you, then you have not received what he has given. And as we shared a couple weeks ago, you can only receive from God when your hands are empty. So you reject his gift, and you're going to have to do it all on your own. Because the righteousness of God goes beyond just that single issue. See, it surpasses a single choice or action or Decision, if you want to earn your own salvation, it's going to cost you a whole lot more than a momentary physical pain or literal ounce of flesh, as it were. It demands everything. If you want to earn the favor of God for yourself, there's only one way to do that, and that's perfect holiness, 100% obedience. You want to try to earn your way to God through keeping the law of circumcision, then you've got to keep the entire law all by yourself. 
Now, I know some of you may not believe this, but um, when I was in middle school, I was kind of a little punk. Okay, like uh, really just a jerk. Um, But I I made decent grades, and um, I thought I knew everything about everything. Um, So my my eighth grade math teacher, all year long, uh, goaded, really goaded our class into telling us about one of his old teachers who had told him and, and made this offer to the whole class, if you get every single question wrong, on the test, you can have 100%. But if you get even a single question right, you get whatever your grade is. Okay, every time he would pass out a test, he would say this to us, and finally, it was the end of the year, a final exam, and, and I said, all right, hey, I'll take you up on that author, on that offer, okay? Um, 100%, easy. You know, I'm thinking, you know, it's so hard to get the questions right even when you're trying, How difficult is it going to be to get them wrong when you're not trying? Um, So a day or two after the final, he starts reading the the scores from our class. You know, Evans, 92, Fitzpatrick, 85, Jones, 93, Kish, (laughs) 4. And the the entire room just turned around and looked at me, and I think I've never had a face so red uh, when there wasn't a pretty girl involved. Okay, and and I, I was like dying right there in my seat. You see, I thought I had the perfect strategy. What I was doing is is on the equations, I would just make up some ridiculous answer, like the square root of negative pi, okay? Um, And and those were the easy ones, or or 10 to the infinity power times 1, or, you know, something like that. Um, Math is not my strong suit anymore. Uh, But those multiple choice questions are what tripped me up a little bit, right? And it's not that I didn't know the answer. I actually knew all the answers, and I went and I marked all the right answers so that I wouldn't accidentally answer a question right. But because I didn't have to go back and check my work because I didn't do any work, uh, I never went back to check that on two of the questions I accidentally left them marked right instead of selecting the wrong one. Uh, Fortunately for me, um, you may guess what the the math teacher did when the report cards came out. He never said anything, but he actually gave me an A on the exam. He never told me. I think he loved to see me kind of squirm, right? Again, that that punk kid that, that thought he knew Everything. I didn't even ask for a different grade. He just gave it to me, and I found out later after I, I, I came home. Um, but, man, I was humbled, and I'm, I'm sure he really loved uh, watching all of that. So here's the point. Trying to earn the favor of God. It's just like that test. But God's offer is to receive his perfect righteousness or to be perfectly righteous. You know, on my math test, I had two ways I could have made 100, right? I could have answered the questions all right or all wrong. Be perfectly wrong or perfectly right. Either way, I had to earn that grade. But see, if you refuse the perfect righteousness of Jesus that God freely offers to everyone who believes, then he still demands perfection and not just in circumcision or keeping the Ten Commandments, but in everything, including perfectly loving your children, your spouse and your neighbor, perfectly loving him, and to get it wrong even inadvertently just in one small area where you knew what the right answer was and just didn't do it means failing the entire exam. See, this is what's driving Paul crazy here. He knows that that if these Christians are demanding perfect obedience, then they clearly don't understand the love of God, and they have not experienced the grace of God. 
See, if you don't fully trust in the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus, then you're going to have to trust in something else. You're going to have to do it all yourself. See, Paul saw that to the Judaizers, circumcision to them was not actually an act of faith. It was more of a fallback. Right? This isn't something that they did for God in love. This was something that they did to have a little bit of leverage on God. Ensuring that God has to accept them because they checked off all the boxes. And we can sort of hear them saying, but, but look, Paul, if, if they just want to be sure about their faith, right, they can just seal the deal through this little bitty minor surgical procedure here, right? You know, God can't argue with that. Remember, remember Abraham and remember Moses and remember what God told his, his people. But again, that's not look what I did because of my faith. It's more like look where a lack of faith has brought me to a place where I felt like I needed to do more than what Jesus had already done. I couldn't leave it in his hands. I had to bring something to the table. I needed to be in control here. I couldn't leave the fate of my soul to chance. So if I have faith in God, Scripture says, even enough faith to move a mountain without having love for God and for his people, what do I really have? Well, Scripture tells us it's nothing. What am I? I'm not really a, a Christian. I am nothing. That's 1 Corinthians 13, too. See, putting our faith in Jesus means going all in with him, falling in love with him and being loved by him and loving him in response to the way that he has loved us. And Scripture uses this wonderful relational language to talk about our relationship with God. The way he deals with his people, we use the term covenant and father and mother and groom and bride and brother and sister and family. And even this image of a mother hen gathering up her little chicks. And in Luke 15, Jesus shares the parable of the prodigal son. As we think about it, we kind of realize that there's not just one wayward son, were there? There's two. There's one son who rejected his father's love for him and, and went off and became a slave because of his own immorality. And then there's another son who rejected his father's love for his brother and became a slave because of his own morality. One was a slave to sin, the other was a slave to the law, and both viewed their performance as what either exiled them or entrenched them into the rightful place of the family. See, the prodigal son believed my actions prove that I am not worthy to be called a son. And the legalist son believed my actions prove that I am deserving to be your son. See, neither one of them understood the full love of their father. As we read the parable at the end, we see that the father's heartbroken by each of them. Both the one who needed grace and the one who refused to show it. And so, so where do we find ourselves in that continuum? Do we demand from others the things that God did not demand from us? Do we expect perfection from the people around us and grow annoyed and frustrated at anything less? Do we enjoy putting people in their place and watching them squirm when they make even the smallest, non-intentional, non-malicious mistakes? Do we remind those people around us over and over again of how much they have let us down and disappointed us and embarrassed us? And as a result, communicate to them, either intentionally or not, that they don't simply make mistakes, but rather that they are mistakes. 
I mean, can we be clear here? That's, that's not the way of Jesus. Right? And that's what Paul is saying here. That's not the way of the Father or the way of the Holy Spirit. That's the way of shame and manipulation and control. That's the spirit of slavery, the spirit of legalism that these people came infiltrating the church and brought. See, Paul says God does not operate the way that you, says, that you say he does. God doesn't want your circumcision. He desires faith working through love. And what kind of love is this? Well, it's not like that tough love. You know, just you know, get a boo-boo and you spit in the dirt and you rub it on it and say, hey, get back out there, go in the field, right? But it's this agape love. And Jesus defines this type of love, agape, at the Last Supper when he says, greater love, agape, has no man than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. It's the love of sacrifice. My life for yours, that's the way of the love of Jesus. It's unconditional, it's unearned, it's undeserved. And this grace, this love, sets us free to something greater than legalism. It's joyful obedience. The commentator Todd Wilson writes on this passage, he says, We know we've lost sight of what ultimately counts in the Christian life when we begin to lose the joy of living the Christian life. See, the life of legalism is defined by anxiety and control and worry and work and self-righteousness and pride and all these other things. But the life of grace looks like this. Hope, release, peace, rest, sufficiency, and humility. And Paul says, be careful though, right? Because freedom from the law means freedom to love. And it doesn't mean a freedom or a license to sin. See, when devotion replaces obligation, we are truly and finally free to live as we were always meant to live. Think about the jazz musician, right? Uh, They're freed from the notes on a page, not because they've rejected the idea of music theory or because they refuse to practice, but because they fully embrace them to the point that those things are now ingrained. They're just second nature inside of them. They practice for hundreds, if not thousands of hours so that when the time comes to perform, they aren't slaves to the sheet music. They're free to improvise and create something beautiful that's never been heard before, and it fits seamlessly in with all of the other musicians around them. And think about athletics or sports. You know, right now... Um, Megan is, is head coach of a girls' 10 and under softball team. And I'm an assistant coach under my wife. Pray for us, please. And so we're coaching softball, and at every practice, we're doing the same things over and over again. And, and when you love a game, you love a sport, and become devoted to it, practice isn't a chore, right? It's, it's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to improve because in the game, regardless of how many situations you go over and practice, you're going to encounter something that you've never practiced before. And do you have the instincts? Do you have the love? Do you have the passion to let those principles that you've learned just take over in that moment? The greatest players in the game aren't, aren't the ones who are necessarily the most talented, but the ones who are the most devoted, you probably heard about some guy named Tom Brady, right? He was the 199th player selected in the 2000 NFL draft. The seventh quarterback taken in that draft. In fact, his own team, the New England Patriots, passed on him six times 
before they took him. Every team in the league had a shot at him four or five times at minimum. And now what is he? Well, he's the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL, if you're not familiar with him. And it wasn't because he had a superior set of skills, but, but by all accounts, a discipline, a drive, a work ethic, a devotion, and a love of the game that has fueled him to something greater than what anyone could have ever thought. And that's what it is to live the life of the Christian, to be fueled and devoted by the love of the one who first loved us. See, Paul himself wrote this, I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul says, don't you see, I'm totally unworthy, the least of the least, but through Christ I have been made worthy, and because I received his grace, now I work with a new devotion, a new drive, because of the grace that is with me. See, don't don't misunderstand, grace is not earned through works, but that's not the same thing as saying that grace is opposed to work. Right? Experiencing the grace of God fills us with the love of God, which actually fuels our work for God as the followers of Jesus. What does Paul say? I worked harder, but it wasn't me. It was, the, it was Christ in me. It was the, the grace within me, the external manifest, manifestation of that internal work that God was doing in my heart. Grace is with me. And in fact, for every follower of Jesus, for every Christian, grace is within me. And this grace leads us to live in a freedom to love God and to love others just like Jesus. In Hebrews 12, we we read this about about, about the Christian life. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated on the right hand of the throne of God consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted and why would Hebrews tell us not to grow weary or faint-hearted unless it knew that there were difficult days in store for Christians? But there's no one who ever lived that was more free than Jesus. And yet there's also been no greater servant who demonstrated a greater love than Jesus did. So Paul says, let us embrace our freedom. Let us lay aside what holds us back and let us live as we were always meant to live with our eyes firmly fixed upon Jesus who alone can give us freedom. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you know us. You know where we live. Lord, you know the thoughts that we harbor. Lord, you know those tendencies that each of us have, those those expectations that we place upon others. Or perhaps a spirit of bitterness or, or criticism. 
Lord, you know that in our weakest moments that we believe with all our hearts that we have to do something else, that you are not enough for us. But Lord, that's just not the truth. See, we see that you have made the way for us because you did the things that we could not do. Lord, you sent your son Jesus to offer his life to to come and to live here on this earth and to live perfectly. Lord, not, not a stain of sin anywhere, not even a hint. Lord, and, and even in his perfection, Lord, we, humanity, rejected him and despised him. Lord, we sent him to the cross. And yet on that cross, we see that he took all those things that we deserved. Lord, he took our shame and our guilt and our punishment and all the pain that we caused with our sin. He took them on upon himself and offers us his perfect righteousness and holiness. Lord, there's nothing else we need to do. There's nothing else that we can add to that which Jesus has already done. Help us to believe that. Help us to receive that. Lord, help us as we think about our brothers and sisters, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, that we would see our faith working in love. That we would demonstrate the love that we have received. Lord, that we would be free to live as you've called us to live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 559. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 559.
ask you again to join me as we lift our hands to the Lord. Lord, this is what we bring to you. Lord, this is, this is who we are in ourselves. This, this is our greatest work, is our nothingness. Lord, we thank you that you have made the way, that you have done all of the work, that we can rest secure knowing that we are yours. Jesus, we thank you that you have loved us when we did not deserve your love. Father, we ask that you forgive our, our hearts. Lord, that you would do your work inside of us, that we would continue to, to proclaim the goodness and the grace of Jesus to everyone we encounter. Lord, starting in this room and spreading out to the world. Fill us with a greater love for thee, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name.